You know, some people enjoy composing their own music, chord by chord, and others are happiest when they come across that one perfect song. Work is not a lot different than that. Whether you prefer building your own workflow or using a pre-made template, with Monday.com, you and the team can work in a way that's comfortable for everyone. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com and build your own amazing workflow or find an awesome template. No judgment. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I had figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true, personal stories about science. I'm your host, Gaston Almonte. And this week, our stories are all about what could have been. Those moments in life where you wonder if you did something different, what your life might be like, what kind of person you'd be now. (laughs) This is the what if game that causes me to procrastinate the most by far. What if I'd cut class in high school to go to that Yankees World Series Day Parade? Should I have had that bag of Takis before recording this? Some questions don't have answers, although both of those clearly do. (laughs) Our first story is from Calvin Cato. Oh, I love Calvin. What's up, Calvin? I love when I'm surprised by my own podcast. (laughs) It was recorded at Caveat in New York City in October of 2022. The theme that night was reimagining. Hello and bonjour and bienvenidos. Hello, how are we doing? This is so lovely. So I have to start off by letting you guys know I effing love biology. I'm a huge fan. I love biology. I love anatomy. My parents used to say that even when I was in the womb, I was probably just like swimming around and they're just pointing out different organs like that's a uterus. That's a cervix. Fallopian tubes, which if anyone knows anything about the human body, like that's not possible because my eyes were not developed enough. But whatever. Um, we got to give them credit for where it's due. So. I loved, 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 loved anatomy. And when I was growing up, like I feel like most kid, elementary school kids, they would get like Cat in the Hat or like G.I. Joe's or if they were frisky Goosebumps books. Ooh, reader beware. <laughs> but I was growing up getting anatomy coloring books and medical dictionaries. And for leisure, I read Call of the Wild. So I was like that kind of kid. <laughs> I was not really an outdoor kid. I was more of a scalpel, let me hold it kind of kid. And and because of that, my parents were so happy that I was so taken with biology and anatomy. And they're like, this is great. Like, we have a son who is going to be a doctor. This is going to be amazing. And what you need to understand is I have Caribbean parents. So when you have Caribbean parents, uh, when you're growing up, you only have three things that you can be, which is you can either be a doctor or a lawyer or disowned. And those are the only three. <laughs> it's a very narrow flight plan. And I didn't want to be a lawyer because I saw Liar Liar and Jim Carrey made it not look good. So <laughs> didn't want that, didn't want to be disowned and doctor was where I was headed. And my dad was super happy about this as well because he was a registered nurse and he worked in an emergency room. And my dad would always say, I'm just so happy you know, you're so great at this and you're gonna be a doctor and maybe one day I'll work for you. And I was like, that's how sad American capitalism is, is that you think that by the time I'm growing up, you're still gonna be working in a hospital. We need to fix that. 
but that was what my dad's dream was and he was always just you know pushing me towards that and for myself I always felt like yeah I think that I would make a very good doctor just because I knew all of these things and I was able to retain these things and I remember there was one time in fifth grade where uh, our science teacher was not the best her name is Mrs. Johansson I probably shouldn't use her name but she's passed away now so she can't really correct me anymore but one time she was saying oh you know the urethra connects the kidneys to the bladder and I said no those are actually the ureters that do that and she was like please leave the class and I was like I'm getting in trouble for knowing too much what so again that was the kind of person I was this is how I was always conditioned and whenever my dad had a chance to like bring me into work I would love to go with him and I wasn't able to like go through all the rounds with him but you know I would sit in the room and my dad would tell me about like oh I had to draw someone's blood today or I had to handle this or someone uh, has has a hemorrhage and I was like this is so fascinating and I really was into it and then I remembered this was a week before I was supposed to go to college and my dad I remember came home one day and looked very defeated and sad and I said is everything okay and then my dad said, yeah, it's fine. It's just that like we lost someone today and I really, it really feels like it's unfair. And that was the first time it really started to sink in that, oh, being a doctor is more than just knowing stuff. It's about actually saving lives. You know, you're not just a mechanic of a human body. You're, it's caretaker. You know, your job is to make sure that it can live and fight another day. And it started making me feel a little bit nervous. And then I had to go to, and then I went to college. And so when I went to college, I was super gung-ho. I was like, I'm going to be pre-med. I'm going to be a bio major. I was very into it. Um, but I went to a college that was charitably described as a very hippie school. Like, it was very hippie, super ultra-liberal. Like, you know, it was one of those places where, like, you had to, like, have acoustic guitar in order to graduate, like, that kind of like all the white kids had dreadlocks, whether they should or not. You know what I mean? Like it's like, just wash your hair. Like, what are we doing, Chad? Like, why are you doing this? I need to smell your patchouli. Like, what are we doing? Wash your goddamn hair. I don't need to smell the tree branch and neem oil in your fucking scalp. What are we doing? Please do better. I went to one of those schools. And at that school, I realized that because people were so creative, and as much as I was super focused on being pre-med, I was like, oh, there are creative things that I liked. And I was able to discover stand-up comedy, which I was like, this is really cool and nice. And like, I really got into like, you know, music shows. I was like, this is great. And then I discovered acapella, and I was like, this is terrible. And you know, <laughs> they don't know no better. There, no one's acapella, okay? No one's wearing the world as Carmen San Diego enough for me, so. But, you know, I am tolerant of other people's lifestyles. So I was, like, discovering all this stuff, and I was just so fascinated and so into it. And as I got more into it, I realized I was doing worse and worse in my classes. And there was, and so if you're pre-med, you have to take, there are five main things you need to take, which is you need to take chemistry, you need to take physics, you need to take biology, you need to take a calculus class, and you need to take organic chemistry. Now, chemistry and physics, pfft, Easy. I got that. I know how to balance equations. I know the difference between an acid and a base. Physics, easy. What comes up must come down. Newton, joules, calories, kilocalories, which are in your nutritional facts, by the way. Nailed all of that. But then it got to biology. And in biology, it was not just about learning. It was about learning so much stuff at once. 
And I realized that my brain had a capacity to learn. I could learn parts of the cell. I can't learn such granular parts of the cell that I need to know, okay, this part does this, this part does that, this part does this. And I realized I got to a point where I just stopped caring. Like I didn't want to know what a Golgi body was. I wanted to know who Golgi was and why he discovered it, which by the way, he did in 1897. And I was like, that's a great year. Not really, not for my people, but none of them are. Anyway. <laughs> Sidebar, racism. So I was like, I just don't really feel that interested. And as I got more and more into the creative side, I was talking to friends about how I, I can't believe that, like, you know, my whole thing was pre-med and, you know, my dad was so expectant of this and my mom was so, like, happy about this and I don't know what's happening. And my friend said, you know, if you like stand-up comedy so much, I'm part of a group called Punchline would you want to like just be a part of this group and we sit around, we meet once a week, we write jokes, and at some point we'll put on a show. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And so I joined the group and I within two weeks they're like, okay, we booked a show. It's going to be in a month at the Student Lounge. And I was like, oh, this is happening so fast. I don't know. I don't have enough life experience for this. But I was like, you know what? Nevertheless, he persisted. And so I decided I'm going to sit I'm going to write an act and I'm going to perform this act in front of 85 students. And the thing is, like, what was helpful was that because I was so used to, like, my science stuff, I was like, I can probably apply that to stand up. So I had, like, you know, all my colored pencils and I had my index cards and I made a flow chart. And it was kind of like a bit of chemistry as well because it was like balancing an equation. It was like I had to figure out what joke I could say that would lead to this, that would lead to this. How do I set this up? How do I get a positive reaction instead of, you know, a negative, oh my God, you're a nutcase reaction. And so I'm working on this. I'm getting everything set up. And then it gets to the point where I have to do the show. And I'm very, very nervous. And it's, it's college. So it's hard to be nervous when alcohol is omnipresent. And so I was like, okay, maybe I'll just have like one or two drinks It'll help me calm down, and then I can figure it out. And I remember getting on stage, and I say the first joke, uh, which is something that is very stupid now, but it was, oh, I'm a pre-med student, so instead of studying, I'm more like studying, which, you know, <laughs> it was 2004. Those landers were very low. But people actually laughed at that, and I was like, what? And then I went on to do jokes that were much better and much more coherent, and people really liked it. And it dawned on me that I realized that there's a difference between knowing something or learning something and being good at it. And I realized this is something that I actually want to do. And so I finished that set, and then I went back to the Punchline people, and they're like, okay, you did really well. Let's try to like book more shows and do more shows. And as I got more and more into stand-up comedy, I got more and more out of pre-med, and I started quietly dropping classes, I started taking more English classes. I started uh, trying to learn ukulele, which again, yuck, but <laughs> you gotta finish somewhere. And so I was trying to like get more into these things. I stopped showing my parents my report cards because they were like, so what are you doing? And I'd be like, oh, things are great, you know, lovely, yay, gallbladders. And I would just be lying to them. And they didn't know that I just had gotten to a point where I completely switched majors and I never even told them. And I remember uh, I didn't tell them until it was a week before I was supposed to graduate. And my parents were like, we have not seen a report card in two years. 
and we don't even know what your status is. And I was like, okay, so just so you know, I actually switched to being an English major. I really want to do stand up and I want to do some creative stuff. And I was waiting for the, okay, so now you're on the disowned track. Great. Um, but to my surprise, my parents, although they were extremely upset, they said two things, which is number one, okay, this is bad, but can you at least be a science editor? <laughs> which I did take them up on and I did become a science editor. And then the second thing that they said was, okay, if you are gonna do this and then you're gonna have to get into acting, can you at least audition to be a doctor? <laughs> Which I have not fulfilled yet, but I plan to soon. Thank you guys so much. Have a wonderful night. That was Calvin Cato. Calvin S. Cato got his comedic start with the Wesleyan University stand-up comedy troupe Punchline and then transferred his unique brand of humor to New York City in 2006. He has performed all across the United States and has even crossed the border into Canada. His television appearances include the Game Show Network, Oxygen's My Crazy Love, National Geographic's Brain Games, and an unaired pilot for Vice Media called Emergency Black Meeting. I love that name. In 2017, Calvin was named one of Time Out New York's queer comics of color to watch out for. His comedy has been featured in numerous festivals, including San Francisco Sketch Fest, Austin's Out of Bounds Comedy Festival, Brooklyn Pride, Gotham Storytelling Festival, Flamecom, and the Women in Comedy Festival. In addition, you may have heard him overshare on popular podcasts, including Keith and the Girl, The Beige Phillips Show, Risk, uh, Guys We Fucked, Last Culturistas, Tinder Tales, or the video game theme podcast he co-produced called the Playable Characters Podcast, featured in the AV Club and Split Sider. Most recently, Calvin was published in Queendom, an anthology of essays by queer comedians and entertainers. Published in early 2021, the book is available on Amazon and other online book retailers. Man, my boy's resume is crazy. Okay, before we continue with today's episode, a couple of reminders. We have shows coming up in Seattle next week on March 30th. And in April, we're going to be hosting shows in Boise, Idaho, New York, D.C., Dallas, Texas. And we're also having a very special partnership show with Capital Storytelling in Sacramento, California on April 14th. Get your tickets and find out more. Storycollider.org backslash shows. And if you would like to learn more about how to tell a science story, Check out storycollider.org backslash education. We offer private workshops both online and in person for groups, and we offer public courses for individuals online as well. Also, for more updates and cool behind-the-story pictures and other awesome content, you should follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and now TikTok. Find us at Story Collider. And finally, if you're a fan of this podcast and if you, like us, believe in the power these stories have to reveal the humanity behind science, to change our understanding of how science happens and who it belongs to, please consider donating to the Story Collider at storycollider.org backslash donate. Also, if you're tired of listening to these ads on podcasts, you can also sign up to our Patreon at patreon.com backslash the Story Collider. 
Our Patreon supporters receive an ad-free version of this podcast, as well as occasional bonus episodes and other gifts. Recently, I had an awesome conversation with the big homie Aaron Barker, where we talked about how to best use humor in your storytelling. I love geeking out over the craft like that. Check it out exclusively through our Patreon. We're so grateful to everyone who helps make our work possible. Our second story is from Story Collider senior producer Shane Hanlon. It was recorded in Washington, D.C. in November of 2022. The theme that night was letting go. I met Alex in second grade, and we were instant best friends. Uh, Over the years, we would bond over... Basically being idiots from uh, cruising up and down the local street and our friend's Ford Escort that was lowered 20 inch rims with a subwoofer instead of a bad seat uh, to the, the runs to Walmart where we would buy airsoft rifles and then proceed to empty clips of tiny little plastic pellets into each other. To the nights we spent at our local pizza shop, Vito's, uh, just arguing about the dumbest shit, uh, usually about who played what character on what show. This was pre-Google. Shane. By the way, I make him sound like Elizabeth Holmes. He doesn't sound like Elizabeth Holmes, but in my head he does, so this is his voice now, forever. Shane, what was the name of the character on Sliders? Sliders? What the hell was Sliders? Oh, oh, it was was Jerry O'Connell. Wasn't Jerry O'Connell, you're an idiot. It was, in fact, Jerry O'Connell. Uh, this, and this was our relationship. This is just how we were. Our friends would actually joke to us in high school that we bickered so much uh, and, and that we should have actually ended up getting cutest couple. Uh, we didn't. Side note, I actually did get cutest couple, and he did not, so win for me. When we went to college, our paths diverged a little bit, but we, we remained close. Alex went to a fancy private school, and this was not unexpected. Uh, Alex came from a pretty well-off family, and he was in the gifted program. Uh, I, I was not in, in the gifted program, but I will say I did graduate like a smidge ahead of him uh, uh, after after high school. So another one for me. Uh, I ended up going to a state school, a state school that I loved, a state school that I absolutely adore and am very proud of but a state school nonetheless. When uh, Alex went to college, he turned into a bit of a disaster. Uh, He drank too much, he partied too hard, and his parents ended up plucking him from his fancy private school and putting him into a college much closer to home so they could keep a literal eye on him. And at the time, I didn't really think anything of this. Uh, Frankly, I, I... I thought it was hilarious. Uh, Instead of being kind of sensitive and thinking like, oh man, I'm so sorry, that really sucks for you. I I was very immature and kind of bro, you know, like, haha, sucks for you. Uh, But also I was selfish about it because I was really excited that he would be home when I would go visit my parents. Now, on the other hand, I was on the path to enlightenment, to become a scientist. And I had it all planned out. I was going to get my degree in four years. I was going to work in a lab for a year and then on to get my PhD in biology and first PhD among my friends, only PhD among my family. And I was getting out of our podunk small little town in rural Pennsylvania. Now I, I loved Alex. I really did. But frankly, I was just doing 
better than he was. While he was like literally flailing and failing, I was on this path to greatness. And then reality checked me like really hard. My first year of grad school was tough. Uh, I, I succeeded in all of the technical ways on paper. I got good grades. My research went well. Teaching went well. All of that stuff. But I was failing personally. Uh, I was having a really tough time making friends. My long-term relationship failed. And I just, I missed home. I missed that familiar. I missed Alex. And so... I, I reached out to him. He had actually gone through something similar at the time. He had moved from our small podunk town to Hoboken, New Jersey for a job. And so despite failing for so long, he was now somehow thriving. And so I wanted to know what the secret was. And so we started talking almost every night on the phone. On the phone, okay? So I am on the elder side of millennial, but I 100% subscribe to the stereotype of hating talking on the phone. Do not talk to me on the phone. But we did it. And it helped. And he helped and he helped pull me through it. And so after we did, he invited me to come visit him out in Hoboken. I said, yeah, of course, I'd love to visit you. And so I pull up to his apartment and he's standing outside waiting to greet me. And he greets me with this big bear hug, which was weird because we didn't really hug. Uh, but you know what? I rolled with him. And he says, Shane, again, the I don't, it's just how he sounds in my head. Shane, I'm so glad you're here. This is going to be a great weekend and you'll get to meet Julia. Who the fuck is Julia? Julia turns out was Alex's new girlfriend. So what I thought was going to be a boys weekend was slowly turning into a third wheel weekend. However, I was cool. I rolled with it. So that night, the three of us went out. We went to some house parties. We went to some bars. We had a great time. Like, we really had a great time. And so at the end of the night, we end up at a local pizza shop to get some carbs and grease to abate the inevitable hangover. And so the three of us were walking down the street, pizza in hand, having a great time. And Alex says to me, Shane, this pizza is so much better than Vito's from home, right? No. No, it's not. It wasn't. But no, like it's not better than our pizza from home, from my youth, from that familiar, of those memories, of so much time we spent together, not just us, with our friends. Like, how dare he say that? No! I literally yelled at him. You have said some dumb shit in your life, but that is the dumbest thing you have ever said. And then I stormed off. Like, I literally ran away down some street in Hoboken, New Jersey, a city I am not familiar with, a city I have never been to. I do not know where I'm going. And so somehow, miraculously, I make it to his front stoop of his apartment where he and Julia find me about an hour later, quite sheepish, but no worse for the wear. The next morning, he and I go out and get some coffee and bagels, and we end up sitting along the river overlooking New York, and he says, Shane, what the fuck was that? <laughs> I don't have a good answer. Uh, and, and it's like, oh, you know, I was just drunk and being silly. Like, who knows what goes on in this mind? And you know what? I just really love Vito's pizza. <laughs> it wasn't the pizza. Um, 
I was I was angry that he was doing so well that despite failing or at least me perceiving him failing for so long that he was now thriving you know I like I was the one who had done everything right I was the one that should have been happy you know he didn't deserve it it should have been me and I hated that I felt that way you know I I should have been I should have been happy for him. And, and I was happy for him. And, and in time, I let him know that. Uh, and eventually, I figured, oh, this out. Uh, and, and I became happy for me. Because when I went, when I made that decision to get a PhD, I, I did. I, I thought that I was somehow like better than him. Uh, that I was doing something great for science or whatever. And I was so determined to succeed. But then things got tough. And and I got sad. And being there at that pizza shop with him and his new girlfriend, and he has his fancy job where he's making so much more money than I was with my pittance of a grad school stipend. I just something in me snapped. You know, I was I was angry, I was pissed, I was I was jealous. And not necessarily jealous of exactly what he had, just jealous that he seemed settled, that he was comfortable in his own skin, that he was content. You know, I just, that's something I wanted. I I wanted to find that happiness. And so he showed me that, well, well, thing one, not better than him. Three letters after my name, not better than him, not better than anyone. Like, fuck that noise. Get over that shit. Um, but thing two, seriously, he showed me that there are many different ways to happiness, many different paths to lead and, and, and taking different paths is really okay. And so I really appreciate that. You know, he taught me that and it means more to me than he'll ever know. And he will never know because there is no way that I am telling him. Thank you. That was Shane Hanlon, Shane M. Hanlon, PhD and executive producer and co-host of America's Geophysical Union's podcast, Third Pod from the Sun. A conservation biologist turned science communicator, he is also manager of AGU's Sharing Science Program, where he teaches fellow scientists how to communicate effectively. He is also a senior producer with the science storytelling organization, The Story Collider, and an instructor at the University of Pittsburgh's Pima Tuning Laboratory of Ecology. And he takes a few weeks off each summer to get back out in the field and catch frogs. That's what's up. I like that. Ain't scared to work with your hands, Shane. I love it. The Story Collider is so grateful to Calvin and Shane for sharing their stories with us. The Story Collider is also very grateful for the support of Science Sandbox, a science foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. This podcast is produced by Aaron Barker, executive director and co-founder of The Story Collider, managing producer Misha Gajewski, and senior podcast editor Jen Chen. Special thanks goes out to the Story Collider board and the rest of our staff, including Managing Director Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Science Advisory Fellow Edith Gonzalez, Education Director Lily B., and Operations Manager Lindsay Cooper, without whom none of this would be possible. The stories featured in today's episode were produced by Paula Croxon and Christine Gentry and Miriam Zaring-Hallam, respectively.
Our theme music is by Ghost. Next week, science journalist Catherine J. Wu will be back with the special deep dive episode all about forest elephants. Oh, that's what's up. I'll be tuning in. Until next time, catch y'all then. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.